Christmas, and welcome back to Trinus Magnus, Jab's Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and it's Christmas! I love Christmas, which is probably the worst-kept secret of Trinus Magnus Punch's reality, but guys, there it is. I just fucking love Christmas, and I've been looking forward to recording this episode. Guys, I'm not kidding, for weeks and weeks now, but... The promise that I made to myself is that I wasn't going to record anything until it was actually, officially, the Christmas season. And I'm recording this on Friday, November the 24th, 2017, which, in other words, is Black Friday, or in still other words, the day after Thanksgiving, because that's how excited I was to finally get around to recording this episode. And I don't normally talk about my beverages of choice, but for this episode, helping me to record and just get through all of this in one piece, I've got a uh, cup of Coca-Cola into which I've poured liberal amounts of uh, bourbon. And uh, this is my uh, Superman cup, my trusty Superman cup. So a little bit of Christmas cheer up in here, up in here. So, uh, yeah. Sorry, I just wanted to get a, uh, I just wanted to get a sip of it. So anyway, to, uh, today's show, uh, which is to say this year's Christmas special, this is going to be about Adventures of Superman number 487, which, for those of you who don't have the benefit of being able to see the cover of this thing, is obviously a Christmas story, and I love Christmas comics. I love Christmas. Uh, you know, I don't even know what it is. I mean, I kind of know, but it's... I, I kind of know what it is about Christmas that I love so much, but elements of it, I must say, are a little bit more uh, mystical. I, guess, I don't even know. I, it, some of it just doesn't even completely make sense to me, but I am a Christmas junkie from way back. So this is definitely my time of year. So the most wonderful time of year, in fact. So, anyway, now like I say, what I'm going to be doing is talking about Adventures of Superman number 487, and honestly, the the first, last, and really only reason for that is, like I said a second ago, this is a Christmas story, and I just dig Superman Christmas stories. I I don't know why, but there's there's something about Christmas, which is awesome all by itself, and then there's something about Superman, which is awesome all by himself, that when you, you put the two of them together, it's like you're not getting awesome squared the way you'd think. It's more like it's awesome cubed, because there's some mysterious third element that comes into play that... I don't know. Anyway, so, yeah. Adventures of Superman, number 487. And uh, let's take a look at the credits here. Story is entitled Christmas in Suicide Slumberland. A beer-guzzling tale of holiday cheer by Tom Grummet, penciler, Doug Hazelwood, inker, Jerry Ordway, writer, Albert de Guzman, letterer, Glenn Whitmore, colorist, Dan Frosty Thorsland, assistant editor, Mike Santa Carlin, editor supreme. Story synopsis is as follows. After one of Kansas's senators is killed by a bomb, Pete Ross is appointed by the governor of Kansas to be his replacement. Meanwhile, Bibbo has taken in Jimmy Olsen, 
Bibbo's throwing a Christmas party for the patrons of his bar who have no place else to go on Christmas Day. Trouble arises when Bibbo and his fellow beer enthusiasts get the brilliant idea to deliver a bunch of toys to needy children. Bibbo sends them out to pick up some toys as long as they agree to actually pay for them. Elsewhere, Superman scours the city in search of Jimmy Olsen, who's, uh, who he's seen in a uh, commercial for Titano's Pizza. Assuming Jimmy's fallen on really hard times if he's become a pizza commercial character, Lois and Clark have become very worried about their friend. But, before Superman can make much headway in searching for Jimmy, he comes across Bibbo's bar, fr bar friends trying to break into a toy warehouse to find items to give to the kids from the orphanage. Superman's moments away from turning them over to the police before Bibbo gets involved, vouches for his nitwit friends, and offers to pay for the damage done to the warehouse door. Superman agrees to let Bibbo's friends go, and he and Sup he, meaning Bibbo and Superman, meet Lois on the roof of the Daily Planet, where they gather all the leftover toys and deliver them to to <clears throat> deliver them to Myra's orphanage. Right at that moment, Mrs. Olsen arrives at the orphanage and is reunited with Jimmy, who's been avoiding her ever since he lost his job at the planet. Later, Clark and Lois trade Christmas presents and muse over how awesome Superman comics are during this period. The end. So, what did I think? Well, like I say, guys, I loves me some Christmas and I loves me some Superman, and so what do you want to bet that I loves me some Christmas stories starring Superman. Odds are pretty good, wouldn't you say? So anyway, elevating all of this to the next level, though, is the fact that this is this is an Adventures of Superman issue. So it's written by Jerry Ordway, which is awesome all by itself. It's drawn by Tom Grummet, which is all which is awesome all by itself. And it's got a shitload of Bibbo in it, so there's more awesome in this comic than I can I almost know what to do with, to tell you the truth. So getting into page three, one of the things that I kind of like about this is, you know, Bibbo is a very he's just got a big heart. You know, he's a big hearted kind of guy. I mean, yeah, he's got his hang-ups, no question about it. But he's a good guy, you know? And Jimmy even makes a point of saying, you wanted this party for all the folks in your bar who had nowhere else to go, remember? Now let's open the doors for business. And you've got uh, Bibbo, he's wearing his uh, Santa Claus outfit, and Jimmy is dressed like, uh, almost like an elfish sort of Robin Hood. And you get the idea he's supposed to be an elf, but... Honestly, with the red hair, it's almost like he's more of like a really tall leprechaun or something. I don't know. So anyway, so yeah, uh, and I just, I, I like that about Bibbo that, you know, his money hasn't really changed very much of who he is as a person, except that it's it's allowed him to be as big hearted as he is, it, it, it's allowed him to be, to actually act upon that. Because when you've got money, I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do for charity. There are a lot of things that you can do to help your community, so on and so forth, right? And no one ever really had to tell Bibbo that he needs to do this. He's doing it, you know? And he's doing it in his own way. You know, I used to live across the street from a bar. And I'm here to tell you that, yeah, you know, you get you get sort of passers through, you know, people that are just passing through. And 
they ended up at that particular bar on that particular night, but it, it could have been anywhere, you know? Uh, it, it might not have even necessarily been a bar. It could just as easily have been a restaurant or it could just as easily have been the movie theater or just, or, or whatever, you know, it's just, they just happen to be there and that's all there is to it. But there's another part of a bar's clientele where you have the regulars, you know, and in a weird kind of way, sometimes what happens is they kind of patch together kind of surrogate families in, in, in a strange type of way. And that is definitely what we see going on with the Ace of Clubs, where Bibbo has basically become kind of a, I don't know, like a, kind of like a father figure in a strange sort of way for all of these, uh, well, bar patrons. Because I'm, I'm trying to avoid calling these people alcoholics, but uh, it is what it is, I guess. And, you know, Bibbo... There are big things that you can do to help people, but there are sometimes there are small things that you can do, you know? I mean, these are people that might very well um, have nowhere else to go. They don't really, they probably don't even have families, some of them. And so, you know, their friends at the bar, this is pretty much it, you know? And so Bibbo is opening his doors on Christmas Day precisely to give these people someplace to go, something to do, people to see, so on and so forth, right? And I kind of, I, I just kind of like that, you know? I mean, with Superman comics of this vintage, everybody had sort of their own turf, you know? Bibbo, undeniably, was Jerry Ordway's character. Now, that's not to say other uh, other people didn't, didn't write Bibbo, because obviously they did, but Bibbo is Jerry Ordway's character, you know? And so that's kind of his turf, you know, whereas Keith, Myra, the orphanage and all that stuff, that was really more Louise Simonson's turf. And that's not to say that nobody else ever wrote uh, for Keith, Myra and the kids at the orphanage, because obviously they did, but that was like her designated turf, you know? And I kind of like the idea of every Superman comic book having its own kind of individual identity. Yeah, they're all telling um, or rather they're, they're all advancing the same story week after week. So you have to follow every single book, but these books are not clones of one another. They all have different voices. They all have separate identities and the kind of, uh, you know, big hearted Bibbo uh, moments like this, you're not necessarily likely to see in say the pages of Superman or in the man of steel, you know? And I just kind of like that this is where we are right now with with uh, this this vintage of Superman, you know, and it it had never really happened before. And I would argue it hasn't really happened since. So this is definitely unique stuff that we're seeing here. So anyway, but uh, moving right along, that is page three at the bottom of page three. Bibbo opens the doors to all of his uh, his uh, customers, one of whom says, hey, Bib." Better sand your 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 front walk, and Bibbo basically scoffs at that, dismisses uh, dismisses it, walks outside. Right as Jimmy takes a picture of uh, Bibbo slipping on uh, this huge sheet of ice on the ground, and he falls straight down on his backside, and it looks like it really hurts. So now, for those of you who don't know, uh, the stereotype that 
most people have about Texas, especially the region of Texas that I live in, is that we generally don't get a lot of snow. And the reason that stereotype exists is because it's pretty much fucking true. So this is something that I just don't really see a whole lot. You know, snow, we get a little bit of ice once in a while, but it's not really that it's not really that big a deal and it's not it, it there's not very much of it usually whenever you know those rare occasions when we do get it and so like this is what i'm saying is this is one of those ur urban hazards that i know about i guess by by way of like reputation and whatnot but this isn't something that i've ever had a whole lot of experience with so you know it's just it's just a, it's a funny moment you know and uh, anyway, moving right along, getting to uh, page five, we basically have this little bit of uh, internal monologue with Jimmy where he's basically reflecting on just the crappy life circumstances that he's had to put up with lately. And, you know, getting fired from uh, the planet, getting evicted from his apartment, uh, sleeping in his car, and then ending up in an impound lot for parking violations. And you know, basically just all of the problems and stuff that he's been working his way through lately. And number one, I mean, this is good information for, you know, new readers or at least infrequent readers that maybe don't, <clears throat> that maybe don't lose a whole lot of sleep over what is and is not happening in Jimmy Olsen's life at any given moment. The other thing, though, is we're basically coming to the other side of that now, where it's not quite finished yet, but we're getting there. You know, <clears throat> the story very soon is going to put this Jimmy Olsen as Peter Parker subplot to bed once and for all. But, you know, I remember reading these comics, you know, just as they were coming out and thinking, you know, you can draw a lot of straight lines between Jimmy Olsen and Peter Parker just regularly, but especially during this little subplot that the Superman titles were going through at this time there are a lot of similarities between the two. And this wasn't really like a full-time fixture. This story eventually did get resolved and Jimmy ended up getting a little bit more on his feet. But this is, what we're seeing here is basically the last lapse of it. And I don't know. I just, I, I, I dig this. It's, it's just fun. Not to mention the fact that uh, getting into pages six and seven, we see Jimmy as the turtle boy. And I don't completely understand the the dynamic that's going on here, except that maybe the turtle boy is, it's basically, he's basically supposed to be a villain. You know, like you remember the Soggies from uh, the uh, Cap'n Crunch commercials from the 80s? Well, that's kind of what Jimmy's doing, you know? He's basically the villain. And so Titano is supposed to run in there and, uh, uh, you know, basically kick the turtle boy's ass and that's pretty much it, you know? And, you know, cause when you think about it, you know, if your delivery was dependent upon a turtle where turtles are really slow. So by the time your pizza arrives, it's going to be really cold. So that's why you should order from Titano because we deliver hot pizzas, you know? And I don't know. I just, I, I, I love that. That's just great. <laughs> so anyway, and um, then, I don't know, there's also kind of the uh, the Ninja Turtle connection, maybe. Maybe I'm just reading too much into this. But, you know, the Ninja Turtle cartoon was still pretty popular even when this issue came out. And 
it makes me think that, you know, the reason for tying Jimmy, you know, there's a Silver Age reference, obviously, with Turtle Boy, and I get that, okay? But what I'm saying is, you know, relating Turtle Boy to pizza, well, in the public consciousness, there was a connection because of the Ninja Turtles. There was a connection between Turtles and pizza, and so they're just going a different way with it where, you know, the Turtle Boy wants to deliver your pizza super slow, and it's going to be cold, and so don't order from them. Order from me because I do... I, I do the best pizza deliveries, and they're they're always hot and stuff. And anyway, so I just fucking got I, I want some pizza right now, actually. Then again, I'm kind of a pizza junkie to begin with, anyway. I mean, look, I'm a uh, I'm a Christmas junkie, this you all know, but I am almost as big a uh, pizza junkie. I just I loves me some pizza. So and now I kind of want some pizza. So yeah, I don't know what it is either. I mean, it's like there's. They call it comfort food, I guess. You know, but the idea of eating, like, just steaming hot fucking pizza. And I mean, like, steaming hot pizza. Ah, just, I love it. Love it, love it, love it. So, anyway. Moving right along, we get into uh, page eight where uh, Pete gets the call. And it's basically him and Lana. They're hanging around his apartment in Washington, D.C., and looks like they're basically they're celebrating Christmas with one another. And the way I choose to interpret this scene is that they were drinking eggnog. Because if you look at page eight, panel two, they're drinking some kind of liquid that, at least to me, could pass as eggnog. And I don't think they actually come right out and say what this drink is. And so I think I've got... Uh, the latitude here to interpret this as eggnog. That's how I choose to see it. And speaking of eggnog, I'm going to get a sip of my Coke and bourbon here. Just a sec. Guys, I got to be honest with you. I'm not real big on alcohol you know, in general, but I like bourbon. This is some good stuff. And this isn't even like, uh, like really like the good stuff. This is just some, uh, some Jim Beam. And I, as far as I know, Jim Beam is not the cheapest bourbon you can possibly buy, but it's up there, you know? But, uh, my, uh, my parents have a, a bottle of bourbon, uh, at their place that they, uh, that I tend to uh, to mooch off of whenever I whenever I uh, swing by for visits and stuff, and I forget the the uh, the exact name of it, uh, the brand. It's something select. I'm going off memory here, but it's uh, something select. And so if it sounds like I'm kind of vamping for time while I search for what exactly the uh, brand of bourbon is, that's because I am in fact vamping for time while I search for. Uh, what what the uh, brand of bourbon is, but that's basically that's basically what it is. You know, um, it's a uh, it's I don't even know how to describe it. It's just it's it's got like a silkier type of taste to it or something. I, it, it's tough to describe, but it's like I can definitely taste the difference between the two. And so now that I'm through vamping for time, this is called Woodford Reserve, which is what they usually buy. And that stuff is, is, uh, that's, that's the good stuff right there. Uh, you know, I, you know, I don't feel like spending like 30 or $40 for a bottle of bourbon. So, you know, like I say, I typically just stick with uh, Jim Beam, which is, <clears throat> I must say that's good enough for me. 
But my parents, uh, I guess they have, uh, since they don't buy bourbon as much, they decide they just want to get the good stuff, I suppose. So anyway, there you have it. So, but yeah, not real big on alcohol in general, but bourbon is some good stuff, guys. <clears throat> Drink responsibly. So anyway, moving right along, there's some uh, business going on with Agent Liberty and the the Sons of Liberty and all. The, actually, I didn't even finish talking about Pete and Lana, did I? All right. So anyway, uh, to, just to round out page eight. So they're sitting around drinking uh, eggnog, right? And that's when Pete gets the call. Hey, you're going to be the new senator, blah, 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 etc. So that's page eight. Page nine. This relates a little bit more to Agent Liberty, who is the bomber of the Kansas senator. He's the guy that actually did it. This is all part of the machinations of the uh, Sons of Liberty. And honestly, I mean, there's some story shit that comes out of that, but that's more like for the future. doesn't really relate that much to this particular issue. This is more just setting up stuff uh, that's still to come. So anyway, so that's, I'm really not too interested in getting into that here. So anyway, getting into to page 10, we get one of those, we get one of those moments in that come around in comics sometimes where I can't help thinking that the writer is injecting a little bit of uh, commentary of some sort. And uh, you basically got the, uh, the staff and the patrons of the Ace of Clubs who are sitting around watching TV, uh, the aftermath of the bombing and all that. And Lamar, one of the uh, patrons, says it was probably one of the uh, Karak terrorists that did the bombing. And the thing is, I mean, like people make, kind of snap judgments about that all the time. I mean, like anytime there's like a, a mass shooting or some other tragedy that happens, check out your newsfeed sometime. Uh, guys, it's going to be full of all different kinds of silly ideas and theories that are based on nothing at all, except the, uh, the uh, writer's conjecture, you know, his own speculations. So, you know, I don't know, just you, you see stuff like that on a fairly common basis. Getting into uh, the bottom of uh, page 10, this is where, I guess, the um, the meat of this issue starts uh, starts coming out a little bit, where we see these kids that are, uh, it's being shown on TV, we see these kids on the roof of the Daily Planet, and somebody is uh, duded up like uh, Santa Claus, passing out presents and stuff, and these are like needy children, you know, they don't, they've literally got nothing, you know? And so, uh, you know, you've like toys for tot uh, type of uh, programs. And um, that basically plants an idea with Lamar that, you know, hey, uh, isn't there a place nearby here that has a lot of needy kids? You know, we could uh, pay him a visit and pass out toys and all that, all that fun stuff, you know? And so Lamar and High Pockets, they, they make for the door, they head on over there. And then from there, we get a little bit more with Agent Liberty. Elsewhere, this is on page 14, we get this really cool glory shot of Superman flying over Suicide Slum. And basically, <clears throat> Superman has basically been uh, wrapped up in a lot of his own problems lately. And he hasn't really had time to think very much about Jimmy and what's going on with him and all that. And so his first stop is to swing by uh, uh, Jimmy's Jimmy's apartment, which he discovers is is empty. And this whole time, he's he's kind of cursing Jimmy for, you know, uh, he never told me 
or he never told her, meaning his mother, he never told Mrs. Olson uh, he lost his job at the paper, evidently, nor that he'd fallen on hard times. I can't believe that he didn't reach out to me or Lois for help. What was he thinking? You know, and, <clears throat> you know, this is one of those things that I got to say I can kind of relate to. I mean, you know, when I've gone through, you know, kind of hard times myself, you know, the last people that I'm likely to tell are my friends and family, and I don't even really know why. But, you know, I mean, it happens to everybody, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, your company has layoffs or, or uh, you know, sometimes um, you, you, you end up, you have to move because, you know, the rents are too damn high, you know, it, it happens, you know, and I don't know why, but it's just like, at least for me, like sharing my problems with other people, <laughs> cold day in hell, guys, not going to happen. So I don't know why. And it looks like Jimmy's kind of cut from the same cloth as me when it comes to that. So being as he's a ginger, I choose to regard that as a positive thing. But I don't know. So anyway, frustrated, Superman zooms off into the distance, deciding he's going to find Jimmy if he has to tear Suicide Slum apart brick by brick. And as he, he the, the thought is no sooner formed in his mind than... <clears throat> He finds Lamar and High Pockets trying to break into a toy warehouse so that they can have toys to pass out to the children. And so it's like, on the one hand, yeah, what they want to do is an honest thing. But if what you have to do is, uh, to do your, your charitable giving is breaking and entering, odds are you're doing it wrong, you know? And that's kind of Superman's point, too. These guys aren't exactly able to talk their way out of it. Superman isn't hearing it. You know, look, I'm sure what you're doing is giving toys to children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just bet. Let's talk it over with the police, shall we? And that may have been the end of it for Lamar and High Pockets, except Bibbo comes along and basically vouches for him and even promises to pay for the door, basically explains what, you know, what the idea was, you know? We want to give toys away to these kids because, you know, they need to have Christmas too. So Superman, basically, like, this is how much faith Superman has in, in, in Bibbo, right? If it was anybody else, I honestly don't think Superman would just let this go, you know? But it's Bibbo, it's Christmas, and what they want to do seems pretty honorable. So, yeah. Why the hell not? So, basically, he arranges to meet with uh, Lois on the roof of the Daily Planet on page 17. We get another kind of... This isn't as glamorous a money shot of Superman flying around as that other page, but this is still pretty cool. At the top of... Uh, this is page 17, uh, the very first panel. It's Superman picking up uh, Bibbo, and then they go zipping off into the sky. And, you know, I don't know that Bibbo ever went flying with Superman all that often. I mean... I can't believe this is the first time that it's ever happened. But at the same time, it's not like this happens in every issue, you know? So I kind of figured, you know, Bibbo would probably get kind of a thrill out of that, you know? Uh, Superman is his, you know, Superman is Bibbo's favorite. And so I think Bibbo, of all people, would get a, a special kick out of flying around uh, Metropolis with Superman, you know? And anyway... So, whatever. They meet up with Lois on the roof of the Daily Planet. And this is Lois's first time, I should say, meeting 
uh, Bibbo. And I don't know. I mean, it's just, this is such a lowest thing to say. Whew. You've been into the holiday cheer, haven't you, uh, Mr. Uh, Bippo? And then Superman corrects her. That's Bibbo, Miss Lane. What do you think? Uh, uh, these gifts will make those kids happy, won't they? Blah, blah, blah. And so from there, we cut to Myra uh, on page 18, Myra, and uh, uh, just the kids at the orphanage. And I'll be honest with you guys. I've never liked Myra. I've never liked Keith. I've never liked anything to do with the orphanage. I always just thought this was like a bl like a black hole for plot and story and everything. It's just these characters annoy me. It's just, I don't know. So, but this, I must say, this is actually pretty decent, you know? Um, you've got basically Myra. She is a little bit skeptical about, you know, Jimmy and the Ace of Clubs uh, patrons showing up at her door, promising to give toys to the children when fucking they've got no toys with them. So, hmm. And it's at that moment, Superman and Bibbo show up uh, carrying a huge uh, sack full of toys. And this is when the real like distribution of the toys starts, starts happening. Right. And there's actually this, this, I love this. There's this neat little moment at the bottom of page 18. Uh, Jimmy says, where'd you find Superman? And, Bibbo, uh, Bibbo's replies, you don't have to whisper, Red. Want a lifesaver? Lois Lane's gave him to me. And, and Jimmy just says, yeah, I can guess why. And speaking of which, take a drink. And another one to grow on. Mm. Good stuff. And I'm going to have a little bit of my uh, vapor too. Then you get into the bottom of uh, page 18. Uh, Superman pulls uh, Jimmy aside and he says, Jim, I'd like to talk later to catch up on things. And Jimmy's kind of nervous. He says, sure. You're not mad at me, are you? And Superman says, not at all, Jim. It's just that all your friends were worried about you, including me. And again, this is a bigger deal than you might first think, because there was a point when this is going a couple of years back now in uh, Superman comics, but there was a point when, you know, Jimmy and Superman were kind of at loggerheads with one another. And honestly, that was really more on uh, Jimmy's side than it was Superman. But it is true that, you know, Superman had unwittingly, unintentionally, and completely by accident caused a lot of problems for, for Jimmy. <clears throat> and so one of the things that this kind of emphasizes for me is, you know, in the pre-crisis era, Jimmy Olsen was undeniably Superman's pal. There's just no two ways about it. You know, he was Mr. Action. You know, and, and in his own kind of way, Jimmy was kind of a hero in his own right. You know, not on the same level as Superman, but he was kind of a hero in his own way. You know, he was a good guy, and in some ways he was kind of a great man, you know. He would always be in Superman's shadow, no two ways about it. But at least back in the Silver Age, Jimmy was... 
he got up to some pretty, uh, some pretty interesting stuff at times, you know, and that's not exactly what we see in the burn age era where it's almost more like Superman is Jimmy's kind of like his older brother, you know, not exactly a father figure. Cause Jimmy doesn't look up to him quite that much, <clears throat> but Jimmy, I think, kind of regards Superman kind of, sort of, like an older brother, you know, and the the perfect older brother, the one who can do no wrong, and you always feel like a screw-up in comparison to him, you know, and, uh, you know, I've that's just the vibe I've always gotten off of the Superman and Jimmy friendship post-John Byrne, you know, post-crisis, so I don't know. Uh, I guess all the rest of you, you're welcome to make whatever judgments about it you want. You know, it's not that, you know, Jimmy's a fuck up or anything like that. It's just that he's not necessarily Mr. Action post-crisis. You know, um, yeah, he's seen some really interesting things in his life, but he doesn't, it's almost more like he's an observer of those things. Whereas back in the Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen days, he was an active participant in many of them, you know? And anyway, it's not to say that one is somehow worse than the other, you know, or that one of them sucks or, or anything. It's just that it's a difference in presentation, tone, and style, I suppose. So anyway, moving right along, getting into pages, uh, or at least, uh, yeah, pages 19 and 20 and in through there, you know, Superman, uh, Bibbo dressed as Santa. Jimmy dressed as generic elf, Robin Hood looking dude, and then Lamar and High Pockets looking kind of like homeless men. They all come in uh, carrying a bunch of toys and stuff with them. And the thing about this that really interests me is that, yeah, the kids don't exactly take to, to Bibbo as Santa because he's obviously got a lot of uh, alcohol on his breath and, you know, he's probably got some hygiene issues that are going on. So, you know, who knows? But the least interesting person to these kids, the least interesting person in the room is Superman. You know, uh, Lamar, High Pockets, Jimmy, Bibbo, they're the stars of the show. And Superman's just kind of there. I don't think anyone ever, ever even says, look, here's Superman. I mean, it's like no one's really reacting to the fact that, hey, Superman is here, you know, and... I don't know. That's that kind of says something, I guess, about the way a child thinks about things, the way a child looks at the world. So anyway, I don't know. So moving right along, uh, getting into the bottom of page 20 and then getting into uh, page 21, Mrs. Olsen uh, comes into the room uh, looking to be a little over 40 and definitely feeling foxy. And, you know, I don't want to go so far as to say Mrs. Olsen is like, totally Mrs. Rob Robinson tier, you know, hottie or anything like that. But yeah, she's pretty good looking, I must say. So anyway, um, it's just a neat little reunion between mother and son. And here again, I mean, I, I can kind of relate to where Jimmy's coming from, you know, I mean, it, it isn't really my thing to tell others whenever I'm having, you know, hard times, you know, for whatever reason. And it's obviously not Jimmy's thing either, so he's not exactly proud to be seen where he is, but he is still happy to see his mom on Christmas Day. And so, ultimately, that's what matters. 
Then getting into page 22, we have this just really sweet moment between Lois and Clark where they trade uh, presents with one another. Basically, Clark gives her a uh, heart-shaped necklace and she gives him a pullover sweater knowing full well that the wrapping paper is kind of useless for him because it's not like the wrapping paper is made of lead or anything so odds are he can see what's in there anytime he wants you know but still she wants to go through the motions of giving him a wrapped christmas present i just dig that i dig this story you know i i like superman christmas stories these are these are just great you know and this was like the official superman christmas story this year but i think i've t uh, i've talked about at least one uh, Superman Christmas story in the past, and of course now I'm blanking on one. I don't think it was during the Christmas season now that I think about it, but it, whatever. It was like 2014 or 2015 maybe, something like that. I think 2014 though. And uh, anyway, so whatever. It's just, I love uh, Superman Christmas stories. These are just, these are tons of fun, and uh, I can never get enough of them. So, uh, uh, if I have any any criticism about the the post John Byrne Superman, it's that we didn't get more Christmas stories. Because as far as I'm concerned, there's never going to be enough. If you give me ten, I'm going to want twelve. If you give me twelve, I'm going to want twenty. You know. So honestly, the more the better. So more and more and more and more. So I just I love Superman. Love Superman uh, in Christmas stories, and uh, this is definitely a good one. So anyway. And that, I think, is pretty much going to be it for me uh, this week. So, once again, Merry Christmas to all of you. Bye, everybody. I will see you next time. Heart's not